This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Tuesday, October 2nd, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. I can't believe that I just said October. It's getting close to the end of the year already. It's just flying by, just crazy. Coming up on today's show, because the puck on the NHL season drops this week, I'm bringing back one of my favorite guests to date to talk some Buffalo Sabres hockey. Chris Baker of The Athletic is going to be my guest on this podcast for a second time. Chris was on first. Back around, I think it was episode number 31. We took a deep dive into Chris's life and his career. That was a lot of fun, but that was then, and this is now. Today, it's all about Buffalo Sabres hockey. I talked to Chris about the Sabres, very likely opening night roster as is currently constructed. I get his thoughts on Tage Thompson, who earned a spot on the top six to begin the season. Casey Middlestat centering a third line how prize rookie Resmus Dahlin looked in the preseason, how close some of these Rochester kids are to busting through. And I asked him straight up if he's bothered by the fact that Jack Eichel still hasn't been named the Sabres team captain. It's a fun hockey chat with Chris, just like every chat I have with him. He's definitely a Moranalytics podcast favorite. Can't wait to bring that to you in just a minute. Immediately after that, I'm joined by Tone Pucks for our Pet with Puck segment. Today, we're breaking down the good, the bad, and plenty of ugly in the Buffalo Bills' latest tire fire of a performance. They're third in just four games. This time, a 22 to nothing disastrous shutout in cheesehead country to the Green Bay Packers. Rookie or not, Tone Pucks does not hold back when he talks about how he thinks Josh Allen played and where he's at in his development, I don't blame him. I get the whole rookie thing, and there's not a lot of talent around him. But at the end of the day, you got to be better than what we saw on Sunday. Josh Allen was just awful. Also, with the way the Buffalo Bills offense is looking and LaShawn McCoy only getting five carries, despite the score only being a two-score game for the majority of the contest, I examine if the Bills should start actively trying to trade LeSean McCoy before the deadline at the end of October. Maybe they can get something for him. Is it worth trying to get something for him? Or are the Bills just better off keeping him for the development of Josh Allen? Although, again, five carries in a football game 
isn't really doing a hell of a lot to help Josh Allen in his development now, is it? We throw out a little bit of love to rookie Teron Johnson and safety Jordan Poyer, who quite frankly were the only two Buffalo Bills players who deserve any love on Sunday. And we look at the big picture as we hit the quarter point of the season and we try to pick an MVP for the team so far, which by the way, was not easy. What is easy is finding plenty of candidates for LVP. We disagree on that. We also talk a little bit about the New York Yankees, Oakland A's one game playoff coming up tomorrow night. The ass kicking that the Europeans gave America in the Ryder Cup and why Tone Pucks is really a pretty shitty golf fan. I talk about how the Americans' workmanlike attitude towards the Ryder Cup, it really bothers me. And Puck sends what I consider a fitting tribute to former Sabres GM Tim Murray during his puck drop. All that and more, I don't want to put you to sleep any more than I already have here at the top. So let's get into the podcast. Here's my interview with Chris Baker from The Athletic, followed by some Pat with Pucks. Top shelf where Mama hides the cookies. I am here for round two with my man, Chris Baker from The Athletic. I had Chris on the podcast back on episode number 31. That was more about fans to get in to know him and talking about him joining The Athletic and stuff like that. I would suggest that you go back and listen to that if you're out there listening. That was fun, but today's pretty much all business. This is a Sabres hockey chat with Chris Baker. What's going on, Chris? How you doing? Thanks for coming on. Hey, Pat. Yeah, doing well, man. It's um, We're through that arduous exercise called the preseason, you know, so now uh, ready to go and it's an exciting time here. I think the, the final moves have been made and I think that's what you want to talk about today. You know what's also exciting, Chris, I just thought of? You are the first guest I've had on the history of this podcast, my first quote unquote marquee guest to be back a second time. How about that? Well, let's settle down here with the marquee thing, but, um, <laughs> hey, but hey, no, good to know, um, you know, good, good to know, I guess, right? That's a good stat. That's an interesting statistic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the Sabres start their season Thursday night. They're at home against Boston and it doesn't, it didn't seem that we were quite there yet with the opening night roster, but that changed as we taped this on Monday night, that changed at practice on Monday, Alex Nylander, despite having a good camp and a pretty good preseason was sent down to Rochester to start the season with injuries to Scott Wilson and Johan Larson. That means Tage Thompson has a spot on the opening night roster against Boston. You know what? He may have had a spot regardless of the injuries. Let me ask you a two-part question here. One, do you like the move of Nylander going down to start the season in Rochester? And two, how intrigued are you to see Thompson with Buffalo? Uh, First, with Nylander, you know, he did have a very good preseason. I think that he made some good plays. Uh, He showed some growth in his game. Some of the things that we talked about really in the past 12 months with him, you know, he was coming off an injury last year. He finally had a really good off season of training where he wasn't hampered by the groin injury that he had last year. And I think the work, it showed on the ice. Okay. So he made some nice plays with the puck. He made some nice passes. Um, He did some, he did some of the little things right, but he did some of the little things wrong too. Okay. So We shouldn't be sitting here thinking that he had a perfect preseason or anything like that. I think that he showed growth in his game. To answer your question directly, I'm perfectly fine with the move for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's going to play more minutes in a more meaningful role in Rochester. Two, it should theoretically light a match under his ass. If it wasn't already lit, it should get him a little more 
you know, get the fire in his belly. And that's really what you want to see with a player of his talent level, sure. him to play with a little more passion. Okay. So if he has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, if he goes down to Rochester with the right attitude, it could be a very good move that pays off for the Sabres. As soon as they have that inevitable injury that, you know, is going to happen in maybe a couple of weeks and, you know, knock on wood, obviously you don't want to see any of these guys get hurt. But I think with Nylander, let's be good with the move. It's player development. I think the growth that you saw in his game was a classic example of player development. Now we just need to continue that and he'll be up here uh, in, I think in short order, if he just keeps doing everything correctly and he takes that work ethic down to the farm. Now with Thompson, um, I think that Thompson showed himself very well in the preseason. I think that he proved that he could play with skilled line mates and finish plays. What I liked about Thompson's game in the preseason was that he was getting in on the forecheck. And while he doesn't use his long limbs and big body in this overly physical manner, he uses his reach and he uses his long stick to be disruptive, to make plays, to poke check pucks away from guys and to create opportunities. Just, and that's, a, and that's a, a, another way to use your physical gifts that you have. You don't have to be six foot six and go in there and hit everybody like a truck. Okay. Yeah. You can use your size smartly with your stick as an extension of your body. And that's what he did. And look, I mean, it's not just his, um, you know, those, those are things that you want to see. It's, it's, um, you know, he has that awareness. I think he proved by the way that he could play some defensive zone hockey as well. He was just like Nylander in that he wasn't perfect, but I think he showed enough to earn the trust of the coaching staff to get him the look ahead of, uh, Nylander. I think he just had a little bit more maturity in his game. And I think that was what gave them the confidence to keep him on the roster and send Nylander down for another brief tour of duty in Rochester. Now it appears the lines for the season opener are set. Eichel, of course, will be centering Reinhardt and Skinner. Thompson's going to be starting on a wing with Sherry and with Berglund centering them. We're going to talk about that separately in a moment too. Middlestad will be centering Aposo and Saboka, it looks like. With Rodriguez between uh, Jason Pominville and Gergensons, that'll be the fourth line. Is that pretty close to what you expected? Is there anything in that line combinations that stand out to you, or is it pretty much what you kind of expected it to be? No, I think that you know you would have ideally been able to flip Middlestat and Berglund. Okay, now Berglund, I can totally understand him being in that skill role, um, you know, with some skilled wingers there. Middlestat. You know, you wanted to see him win that job as that, you know, basically a number two guy, okay, and play with your second set of wingers. It just didn't happen right now for him. And that's, you know, it's okay. It's He's a young player. He's got to learn some things a little bit more. I think there's times where Middlestat, maybe, you know, look, I have no problem at all with the way that he competed in camp. He has that fire in his belly, like we talk about you want to see with Nylander. Right. He's a competitor, but there are some little casual plays that he makes with the puck that can get a guy like that in trouble. You know, maybe a little too casual with the backhand passes, um, you know, just little things like that that you want to see him tighten it up. So this move here, it's going to keep him on the roster. Um, it's going to, you know, as opposed to sending him down, I think he'll be a useful player in that role. And look, he still has two very good wingers with him. I mean, that, you know, if they look like maybe a third or a fourth line on paper, if they're going, on any given night, they're going to be your second line with Akposo and Sabotka. So he has two really responsible players with him. He could be insulated in the defensive zone. And the thing about Berglund that I like being um, up top for now, okay, elevated, finger quotes, is that he's really good in the face-off circle. So you can throw him out there, you know, in the defensive zone and have him take draws there. Um, Berglund 
is a really good all-around player, so you can't go wrong starting him there. It's a it's a safe move for the Sabers to start the season off with this line construction. Do you think Aposo is a good fit for Middlestat? Do you like that combination? You know, I thought that if the Sabers would have gone out and pursued Max Pacioretty this summer, um, and this was before obviously the the Skinner acquisition, I thought that Pacioretty would have been a great left side guy for Middlestat, and Aposo would have been a good right side guy. For and a lot of the same reasons that you see that that this line with Sabotka and Oposo is acceptable for Middlestat. Oposo um, isn't going to add a ton of speed, but I don't think necessarily that Middlestat needs to be playing with the fastest guys on the team. I think he'll find guys that can score goals. Like Oposo can score goals just because he had a down year last year doesn't mean he's not a goal scorer. He's still a goal scorer. Okay, he just needs to have a guy that can get him the puck. Now I think that he's in a. I think that combination could work very well. But like I said, I like the fact that Middlestad as a very young player has two veteran guys that can do some work in the trenches and do good work in the corners, fish out pucks and create opportunities for Middlestad to maybe even shoot the puck more, which he needs to do. So I think it works. Now you just need to see it happen, obviously. And, and how, ma- how many minutes are they going to get as a unit? I'm here with one of my favorite hockey guys, one of my favorite all around guys, Chris Baker from The Athletic. Let's jump on the blue line here. Scandello will start with Ristolainen. Darlene will be paired with Jake McCabe. And for now, anyway, Casey Nelson is working with Baloo. Tennyson will be the extra, and, and Goalie was sent to Rochester. I'm going to hit on that in a second, too. How do you feel, first of all, Darlene being paired with McCabe? And how do you think they've looked so far through camp in the preseason? Because they've pretty much been together, most if not the entire time. Yeah, they've been together since day one, pretty much. And, you know, I think that from a... Uh, team building philosophy, uh, defensive pair philosophy, it makes sense because McCabe has that um, wherewithal to know that he needs to cover Darlene's back. Okay. And if there's one thing that McCabe has maybe, you know, he, he hasn't, he had some offensive game to him when he was a college player. And even when he was at the national team development program, he could play some offense, but really he's a warrior defensively. Okay, he can actually execute in that role and let Darlene roam a little bit. You saw it on a couple plays in preseason where Darlene was maybe getting, um, you know, he was moving laterally at the blue line, maybe trying to dangle guys. And who was right behind him? McCabe covering for him in the event that maybe Darlene made an error. That's his mindset when playing with a young player like that. So I think from a skill set perspective and a style, stylistically, it works. Um, You know, that pair is going to have to play some pretty big minutes. You need to pair. If you're going to have Darlene out there, you need to play with a guy that's going to have his back. So if it's not a guy like Scandella, McCabe's probably the next best bet for that to work. Now in the preseason, you're never going to put a lot of stock in the preseason. The games don't mean anything, but this is a rookie, a very coveted rookie we're talking about. What did you see from Darlene that you liked or maybe you didn't like over these past couple of weeks as we transitioned from the preseason into the regular season where now the games mean everything. Um, you saw his ability to process the game quickly. Um, I think about that game in Kraft Hockeyville when they played in Clinton, New York, and and I know it was a power play goal, okay, but he goes back to retrieve a puck, and when he was skating back to get that puck, what was he doing? He was turning his head, and he was looking up ice. Where's the play? And as soon as he touched that puck, he ripped a pass. Cross ice, long distance, right to Eichel, and sprung, you know, that's what sprung Eichel for that nice assist to Reinhardt. He makes plays quickly. And that's how he was advertised. He was a guy that could process the game at a very quick pace at a high level. So you can see him thinking the game. I like that from him. 
what I think he's going to need to learn is actually one of the things that I pointed out on uh, Twitter, which is uh, not always the friendliest place, I think, as you can imagine. But, <laughs> um, you know, I think sometimes a kid like that has to figure out that it's just okay, you know, to maybe, you know, protect the puck high in the zone, the blue line. So I made a remark about uh, his first game. I think it was in the preseason. He was moving laterally and he tried dangling a guy. The guy actually poke checked the puck away from his stick. It was against Pittsburgh. And he saved it with a skate blade and he made it look seamless, like he was in total control. But he was a skate blade away from getting the breakaway against. Okay. And that's the play, by the way, that I'm talking about where McCabe was right behind him. Well, McCabe, it, it would have been a breakaway, in my opinion, because McCabe would, was, uh, he would have had to pivot and turn around and by then the guy would have been past him okay but i got killed for pointing that out by the way and i was just saying hey just be careful okay (laughs) yeah five shifts five shifts later in his next game a puck gets rimmed around to him at the left point and it's almost like you know like a receiver in the end zone sometimes you got to go to the ball right when it's thrown yeah instead of waiting for it to come to you he waited for the puck to come to him at the blue line and he tried, he got it and he didn't have enough time. Patrick Marlowe closed in on him, poke checks the puck, goes past him, breakaway. Now that was saved by the Sabres goaltender. But again, it's that awareness when you're high in the zone to keep the zone. Don't get cute. Don't go for that extra move. Sometimes it's okay to not rely on your flashy hands and stick skills and just make a safer play. So I think that, you know, the turnovers and things like that, yes, it was preseason. That's when you make the mistakes and you know what your range is. And that's all he was doing. So I'm not hammering on Darlene at all by any means. But we shouldn't pretend that he was a perfect player in preseason because he wasn't. But you can see all the skills, the skating ability, the shoot. You know, he can shoot the puck and their quality shots, too. Okay, he's not just shooting in vain. Every shot attempt that that kid has is a quality attempt. And that's just going to do so much for the Sabres attack moving forward. So I think that he's a quick learner again, not beating the kid up, but, um, you know, you saw him just finding his range and let's see how quickly he learns from some of those mistakes that he made. Are you glad to see Gooley get sent down to Rochester to start the season? Didn't look like he was quite ready. Still a promising prospect. I would think, I mean, you'll know more than I do about it, but going into camp, I thought that he was going to make the Sabres opening night roster, but given all the circumstance and everything, I think maybe it is the right move for him to go down to Rochester to start. It's no different than the conversation that we had about Nylander. So what I said about Nylander, let's just say the same thing about Gooley. Sending him down is going to allow him to play big, meaningful minutes. And we shouldn't expect him to be down there forever. Um, He is an NHL caliber player. Now, when you go back, okay, Gooley looked really good when he first came up to Buffalo, even as uh, as a junior player on emergency recall. Yeah. And he had and he had some really good moments last year. Rochester was uh, he was really good offensively, but he had some uneven moments defensively. Okay, and I think that's what you saw as well here in the preseason. So, um, you know, dial back the expectations a little bit. You have a very good prospect here, but that's what he is still, Pat. He's a prospect. Okay, so let him go down, play twenty-two minutes a night, play number one PP, let him play shorthanded, get some momentum, confidence you know, get some good traction in his game and he'll be up, he'll be in, back in Buffalo in no time. Olofsson and Asplund are two guys, aside from Nylander and Gooley, who are going to start the season in Rochester. Who knows? Maybe it won't be too long before one of both of them are up in Buffalo. 
What did you think about them during the camp and preseason? And by the way, Rochester sounds like they might have a fun team to watch this year. Rochester will be a fun team for sure. I think when you start with Asplund, um, I think you have to keep in mind, like, I don't want to say it's like a, a confirmation bias or anything like that, but I mean, you know, with Asplund, he's always been a good player to me. He's always been a surefire NHL player to me, and he still is. He didn't do anything to diminish his stock. This is his first foray into a full-time North American role on a, you know, in hockey. And I think that he did a very nice job showing a combination of skill. He plays with intensity. He's a very smart and tactful defensive player. He's good on face-offs. He's going to be a very big uh, key asset, in my opinion, for the Amherst this year. The difference between, I think, you know, some of the other guys like Nylander and Gooley that we talked about and Asplund is that Asplund, I can see him, you know, probably being down there for the majority, if not all of the season, just to kind of, you know, be steady, you know what I mean? Get the system down yeah. pat. And he's going to be a very, very useful player for the Sabres when they need him to be. Olofsson was, man, I think we may have talked about Olofsson when I was on your podcast the last yeah, time, Pat, where, where I think what he did was pretty much what we kind of talked about. He has the shot. He has the speed. He's stronger than he was, but he's not strong enough yet. And, you know, he's um, he made some nice little plays, both in the rookie tournament and in the limited preseason time that he had. Just little plays to chip the puck off the boards and get it out of the zone and maybe create a rush or, you know, create the transition game. He needs to keep doing that. He needs to do that with regularity. Um, I don't think he looked lost or anything like that. But what the player development staff for the Sabres needs to do right him, job one, is to make him an effective, even-strength player to play the minutes with skill guys. He's never going to be a fourth-line guy, okay? So a Victor Olsen isn't going to be a you know seven- to nine-minute-a-guy night. For him to be an effective North American professional, he's a 16-minute guy. You know what I mean? Maybe I think the way that he was used in Sweden the past couple of years, he was basically a third-line guy, maybe a second-line guy that played number one PP. That's probably his projection, ultimately, in the NHL. Could he be a first line guy that catches fire and plays with like, well, he could, he could, but a reasonable projection for him is a guy that can play, you know, middle line minutes and number one PP. I don't see that projection changing too much. N by no means was he a disappointment. I think he was exactly where you thought a guy like that would be again in his first year of North American professional hockey. Talking about all these Rochester prospects right now. Is there anyone that I missed who's in Rochester to start the season that has you intrigued? You know, not really. I mean, I think everybody that we thought would go down went down. Um, you know, I think Ogilvy, I like, uh, he went down earlier than I thought. I think that, you know, he was in that first wave of uh, moves of guys that went down to stock the roster for the first preseason game. Ogilvy, though, I thought he, he did well. Again, fresh out of college, um, played the game at a pretty good pace. But more importantly, like, you know, he scored a goal in preseason. I think it was the first preseason goal in the first game, or maybe it was the second goal the Sabres scored. Either way, it was the Columbus game, I'm pretty sure. He made a play in the defensive zone, off the glass and out, and then he followed the play and drove the center lane, and he went unscathed, and that's how he scored his goal. That's a smart play. Mm -hmm. And the play that I liked wasn't the fact that he scored the goal. It was the fact that he got the puck out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like little things like that. So I think that he did pretty well. 
Um, I thought that he would have stuck around maybe a little bit longer and maybe they would have given him another look in one more game or whatever. But, um, you know, he's another guy. Look, to your point, all these guys that we're talking about, that's good. That's what's going to make this an exciting year for Rochester because they have a pretty nice mix of veteran guys and a really like a lot of fresh faces. Olafson, Asplin, Ogilvy. These are just three moving Nick Baptiste out today creates opportunity for all the guys that we just talked about. Right. And I think they're going to be an exciting team. I think they're going to be a fast team and they should be able to score a lot of goals. If they, and they have to get the goaltending, by the way. I mean, that's the whole thing. Um, you know, if that Rochester team gets goaltending, they're going to be uh, a pretty tough out. Last question here. And I feel like it's an important one. Why haven't the Sabres named Jack Eichel as the captain yet? Why continue with guys wearing A's every game? Shouldn't this be Jack Eichel is the, the face of the franchise. Jack Eichel is the captain, period, end of the story. Does this surprise you that he's not the captain? It, well, it, it doesn't surprise me in the fact that when you have a young guy that you know is ultimately going to, you know, carry the torch for this team, you know, you're, you, you're in no hurry, right? Like, you have him here for eight years. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not in this hurry. Um, I'm old school where I do think that one voice and that vessel from the coach to the rest of the team does work having a captain, I think. And look, uh, let's, let's be real. Okay. The captain is the face of the franchise. This is a huge marketing opportunity for the Sabres too, to make him a captain. Let's not pretend that, you know, the Pagulas don't, don't think about things like that. Sure. They do. Sure. Um, I, I don't think though that it's a huge deal yet, but I do expect him to be named captain. I don't see any other guy on this team that should wear the C. I want the Sabres, you know, as a hockey watcher in Buffalo, I can't really say fan, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But I think that, I think that that team should be reflective of his moxie and his confidence. And that was the whole reason why I never wanted Ryan O'Reilly to wear the C when he was in Buffalo, because I don't think that that team, I didn't, I didn't think that the team should have reflected him. I think that the team could definitely function very well and have an attitude, a, a real good attitude, but exude confidence and have that little bit of flair with Jack leading the way. So he will be the captain. I, I can't see it any other way. And I'm not too concerned with when it happens as long as we, you know, we all think and agree that it will happen. All right. Chris Baker, follow him on Twitter at Sabres Prospects. And of course, check out The Athletic. They always got great subscription deals going on. Such a great value. It's ridiculous. I'm sure this is a fun time of year for you. At least when it comes to the hockey part of the year. Thanks for doing this, Bakes. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Pat. Thanks, man. Pat with Pucks. Are you a big man? Pop! I'm talking to you! What? You wake up in the morning, you say, I put on my big boy pants! Look, I'm wearing a belt! I got big boy pants on! <laughs> oh my god, that is funny! Okay, do not worry. All of your questions are about to be answered. Cell phones and pagers off, please. All right, Tone Pucks, time to talk a little Buffalo Bills. Obviously, it's not going to be as much fun as it was last week because this game against Green Bay was certainly not fun to watch. To me, it felt like punishment at times. I'm sure a lot of fans feel the exact same way. 
But if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, I feel like you got the results Sunday that realistically you should have probably expected. Buffalo went to Green Bay. They played a team that they're inferior to, and I think it looked like it. It got shut out 22 nothing. It's the first time in a decade the Bills have been shut out. I find that really hard to believe, but it is true. After a big win in Minnesota the week before, how big of a letdown was this for you? Or was this pretty much what you expected to see? I didn't expect to win the game, but I'm, I'm, I can't sit here and tell you that I expected the result to be this one-sided. I mean, we thought we might have the, uh, you know, something resembling a season after last week. Uh, you know, Allen was, was competent. Uh, the defense was spectacular. And this week we got neither. And I think if you were to put it to me coming into this game, what would I expect to be more likely to happen? The defense not to be spectacular or, or Allen not to be competent. I probably would have said that I, I, it'd be more likely to see the defense not play up to last week's level. I, I didn't think that Allen could possibly come out and be as inept as he was today. That is one thing, regardless of what you know. I may have seen the result being this week. That's one thing I did not expect to see. He was the Cincinnati... Josh Allen today, deer in the headlights, rendering the entire operation completely useless. I couldn't agree with you more, man. There's just no defending Josh Allen this week. He was awful, 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 awful. I'll tell you what I did. I categorized this game. I took notes in three ways. I did the good, the bad, the ugly. (laughs) Obviously, there's going to be a lot more bad and ugly than there was good. But I do want to get a couple of the good things out of the way first. And one of them, for me at least, I thought that the defense played at least reasonably well. Not great, but reasonably well. They did allow a bunch of yards, 422 yards to be exact. And the Packers did have two touchdown drives between the first quarter and the first few minutes of the second quarter. Two effortless touchdown drives, I should add, by the way. It just looked way the hell too easy. That was worrisome. But all in all, I thought Buffalo did all right. And they also did force two turnovers. Was the performance of the Buffalo's defense acceptable to you? Did they play reasonably well? I feel like they could have played better. I I mean, I'll I'll agree with, you know, reasonably okay, because that's not really saying much. You know, they're supposed to be the unit that, you know, that, that, that keeps us around in ball games. And you can argue that, you know, the second half, they, they kind of did that. They gave us some field position and things like that. But it really stopped feeling like a ball game as soon as it got to, uh, you know, 13 or 16 or, or whatever. And, you know, that's when I need the defense to, to keep me hanging around. If you put that, if you put your rookie quarterback down two scores, I, I don't know exactly when it was, either late in the first or early in the second, but, when you put them down two scores, you've done the team, you know, a, a disservice. And no matter what you do after that, that's going to be what's what's hanging out there. I think they took him out of rhythm. I think they took the play calling out of rhythm. Um, I, I, I would guess that, 
you know, Shady probably had more uh, involvement in, in the game plan before they got down two scores. And and that's on, on the defense, at least in part. So um, I agree that they acquitted themselves well in the second half. It was pretty similar to the Chargers game, man. Just, you know, a different score. The Chargers game had a little more O um, than this one did. But it was a hole that the defense got them into that they just couldn't dig out of. And I I think I want better from my D. I think I underestimated myself when I said they played reasonably well. I don't agree with you. I thought they played more than reasonably well. They did give up two scores. I, that much you are right about. Four minutes into the second quarter, they're down 13 nothing. Should have been 14 nothing. Uh, Mason Crosby missed an extra point. So, yeah, they did give up 14 pretty quick. But it wasn't just the second half. It was from that point on. They only gave up nine points the rest of the game. Three of those points were right before the half when Josh Allen threw an unbelievably awful interception, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Nine points, dude, at Green Bay over the course of close to three quarters when the offense gave them absolutely zero help. I don't know, man. I'll take that. I'll take this effort. Could they have done better? Sure, of course they could have done better. The kid, what was who was it to drop the pick six? Oh, Ryan Lewis. I can't remember. Lewis, Ryan Lewis, yeah, uh, he dropped a pick six. Um, Tredavious White, I don't want to say dropped an interception, but he failed to make one. A couple things didn't go their way. So, yeah, they could have played better. And they didn't get enough pressure on Aaron Rodgers for the most part either. But, I, you know, I'll take it, man. I think that the defense played well enough today that at the very least, the, the Bills could have been in this game in the last 10 minutes, maybe even eight minutes. Fuck them. Green Bay was in cruise control, just like we were against Minnesota last week. You think Minnesota fans were sitting around at the end of last week saying, oh, you know, the defense really played well in the second half. Now, obviously, I'm being somewhat facetious there because, you know, that was a very unexpected result and ours was somewhat expected. But point being, I you know, I, I think Green Bay was just uh, on cruise control and, um, no, I don't. No game balls for the uh, for the D. No moral victories on that any side of the ball today for me. I'm pretty fucking bitter. Just for the record, just putting putting that out there. You're not gonna you're not gonna get too much uh, too much positive out of me. See, this is why I like tape with you on Sunday nights instead of Monday mornings. Well, what the fuck, man? Yeah, I mean, come on. It's just a waste of a Sunday. I mean, the the whole the whole thing just stunk for just three hours of total garbage. You know, I mean, I, I was there one play where you were like, yes, you know what I mean? Like a, a fist bump, something, something, you know, that you wake up for on a Sunday, uh, you know, knowing that you're at least going to have that, that rush of adrenaline from a, from a play that, uh, and the sport you love and the team you love. This was three straight fucking hours of misery. It was awful. One rookie I really did like, it wasn't Josh Allen, obviously. One Tremaine Edmonds either. I really like Teron Johnson out there today. He reminds me of Leonard Johnson in a way, but even better, I know he's playing through a lot of shoulder pain right now. In fact, he went down at one point during the game. But this kid's a tough defender. I like him in the slot. He caused a fumble. He caused a turnover. He had a really nice lick, I think, on um, Allison. Yeah, he had a nice hit on him. I really like this kid's game. He was definitely a bright spot out there for me today. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there was a, a, a real nice um, nice low tackle early in the game, too. Good tackler. I, I, I echo everything you just said as it relates to, 
you know, Leonard Johnson. I, I didn't I didn't like losing Leonard Johnson, to tell you the truth. I thought he was an excellent tackler from the slot corner um last year. And it looks like they went out and got younger and, and maybe better there. So, you know, it, it appears that a, a staple of, of the McDermott defense is is a good tackling nickelback and, you know, way to go, Sean. You got yourself a good tackling nickelback. To cross cross one thing off the fucking list. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're going to disagree on this, but I actually, I like Jordan Poyer's game today. He did have an INT. I mean, it was not a tip pass. He had a couple nice hits too. Wasn't perfect. He wasn't quite 2017 Jordan Poyer, but compared to what he's looked like the first three games, do you, do you think he looked good today? I do. Yeah, I, you know, when the ball got tipped... And I didn't think it was Edmonds at first. I thought the only tip was uh, um, was Graham, but it was you, you know you you certainly see where Edmonds can be beneficial, you know, with the length in the middle of that zone. But when I first saw the tip, I was like, and mind you, this all is happening within you know within a second. But the first thought that ran through my head was that's just caroming off too fast uh, to make you know to make a play, and boy, he just snatched it. That's that is the Jordan Poyer of 2017, and I was happy to see that. You know, the 2017 version of the Bills have had at least a, a, a you know a, a competent offense that could capitalize on that. So obviously, it went for not today, but yeah, it was it was good to see uh, Poyer get on the uh, get on the stat sheet with what we expect you know to see from our safeties, and that's plays on the football. And um, and giving us a chance, you know, to have a short field. I mentioned Teron Johnson. I mentioned Jordan Poyer. Is there anyone else on this roster that you feel confident in and that you're happy with and that you could say, you know what, they belong in the good category? Or is that pretty much it for you? No, I, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking here because I, I haven't even really given it any thought. But no, I mean, nobody did anything uh, other other than them. Nobody at all. We did bring up Josh Allen already. He simply didn't play well. And we could blame the offensive line and the wide receivers all we want, but he's got to be better than what he was. He was inaccurate. He had no clue where blitzes are coming from. That's becoming a problem really quick, too. And it's a glaring problem. He holds the ball for too long. Well, wait a minute. If we're on Allen, does that mean we're on the bad or the ugly? Yeah, yeah. There's no more good. That's what I said. Well, no, well, I'm, I'm asking you: Are we on the bad or the yeah, ugly? Yeah, we're on. We're on the because bad. Because if 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 Allen is the bad, what the fuck is the ugly? Because that was as ugly as it gets. That was terrible. All right, the kid was awful. You know, and I, I, I'm 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 back to where I believe all the negative that was said going into the draft. So. Yeah. You know, I'm going to need to be pulled out of that. I mean, if you if you go back to to last week when you asked me, I can't remember how you phrased it exactly, but you know, did did his performance offer some hope or or was there something there where, you know, it got me thinking, "Hey man, people were wrong." And I told you, you know, I didn't I didn't really need a lot of time to answer that. It it did give me some hope. But there were a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, he said hopeful. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of people that were ready to, you know, to call the naysayers wrong, you know, and they were doing it right up, you know, right up through this weekend with uh, with Jeff Schwartz or, or 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 whomever. And now it's like, 
you know, so now they'll have their week, you know, and then, and there's going to be a lot of that back and forth. Boy, I, I hope there's going to be a lot of that back and forth because that means that there's at least some more good to be had from the season. But, you know, San Diego felt different. San Diego, excuse me, Los Angeles, as I say, the Chargers, okay, that, that felt different than today. You know, they, he looked like a, a, a young quarterback, a rookie quarterback, that just, you know, it was, it was a little, it was happening a little too fast for against the Chargers. I can live with that. Today looked like, and I, what I called it was Cincinnati Josh Allen. Today looked like a kid that just shouldn't have been out there because nothing is going to happen for you offensively because he's so overwhelmed. And, you know, when that happens, there is, there's nothing going, going forward. You know, not only is, is your quarterback's growth stunted from a day like today, but you don't find out anything about your offense today. You don't find out anything about Robert Foster today. You don't find out anything about Ray Ray McLeod today. You know, you could say what you want to say about the, the offensive line, but you can't truly measure the performance of your offensive line today when you just have total cluelessness for four quarters behind center. It just, you know, it, it takes the whole thing down and you can't gauge anything. He only went, he was five of 19 for 58 yards in the first half. Just awful. He did pat the stats a little bit late in the game, but even still, he did get intercepted twice. He got sacked seven times. So you don't put a lot. How much of this do you put on that line and on the receivers maybe not getting open? Or to you, is it more, listen, Josh Allen screwed it up today. He was the the weak link in this offense, not the line, not the receivers. This game is on Josh Allen. Is that how you feel right now? Mostly, but, you know, that only probably goes for about the first half because then I, I stopped. I mean, look, I was watching, but I wasn't really paying attention, attention. But the thing that was happening in the first half that, you know, that and it was pointed out by Fouts, one of the very few, you know, positive or, or one of the very few accurate um, analysis by him today is he was rolling out of pressure into oncoming pressure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I feel like early, the first couple sacks, you know, there were pockets there. He uh, he just needed to step up a little bit. You know, very uh, you know, very jittery today. Um and and that, you know, definitely hurt what the uh what the offensive line would look like. I don't think seven sacks were on the O line. You know, probably four on them, three on the quarterback. The thing that we don't know, and we'll wait to see. You know, the the, the um, you know, everybody's breakdowns of it is were the receivers getting any separation at all? That's something you can't tell from watching it on TV. But I do feel like you can tell um, a line versus a quarterback's fault in a sack on TV, and that seemed like it was pretty much fifty fifty. What more is there to say about this offensive line? I they're even worse than advertised, and I've been on them for months. I don't, does, and there's no answers on the depth chart. You see McDermott come in the game late. I mean, Jesus, that that looked dangerous, like he was going to get Josh Allen killed. And I also want to add regarding this line, 
we always bash the same people, but I think it's time to start adding Deion Dawkins to the list of awful linemen. I think he's looked terrible so far this year. He's been as much a part of the problem with this unit as he has been the solution. Why is this line not improving, or do you, is is Josh Allen making them look bad? You know, you know, I've I've said they're terrible. They man. are bad. They are bad. But I've said this. I've said this before. I do believe when coaches get up there and give that boring answer that it is, you know, uh, eleven guys not functioning and everybody has a role in this. I, I do believe that's the case. I do believe it's a product of all those things. And, you know, I mean, it's just everything that you were worried about the Bills offense being, well, some weeks they are all those things. Inexperienced at quarterback, terrible on the line, and unskilled at the skilled positions. And that was that was today for sure. What about Shady? He only gets three carries for 11 yards in the first half. He ended up with just five rushes for the game. And again, this was a game that it was still winnable. Well, by its score, I mean, the Bills were never going to win this game. That was pretty obvious. But it wasn't like they were down 30-3. to The score was still manageable, yet why does LaShawn McCoy only get five carries? I don't know how much of it is a lack of talent on the line or around him. I don't know if it's maybe Brian DeBolt's system, if it's not fitting him. He questioned him. McCoy, after the game in the locker room, was a little befuddled on why he only had five carries. He didn't have an answer. But clearly, this guy is not an asset to the Bills at this point. Do you think that maybe it's time that the Bills look to move this guy before the trade deadline? Because it doesn't seem like he's going to do anything on this team this year. Well, you know, I'm also a believer when when coaches give that corny line about guys didn't get touches because they didn't extend drives. I believe in that too. <laughs> when you get a lot of three and outs, you know, the, I, you could say that, well, you wouldn't get as many three and outs if he were utilized, you know, on the first series of a drive or something to that effect. And, and hey, look, you know, that makes perfect sense. But I, you know, like I think about the time that they were backed up to the shadow of their own goal line. Um, you know, I think it was still scoreless. I think it was a, um, you know, the both teams, uh, exchanged punts early in the game when, uh, when Green Bay had that ridiculous, uh, third and, third and 11 call on the, the run on third and 11 on like their first series of the game. Although I think they were probably thinking they were going to use four downs there. But we went three straight passes from like the six. And, you know, when, when you get, when that happens, you know, what, when else, when's there a better time to use him than in that case right there? You know, if that drive goes on longer, he gets touches. It goes a three and out passes. It looks ridiculous. You know, again, when the whole thing, when the, when the whole thing, uh, goes bad, that's how it looks. I think it felt like Ivory was out there as much as as McCoy, even on first down too. I don't know what it is, man. I don't. He's their best player on offense, and it's not close. They're not finding ways to utilize him. The first two weeks when they played like shit and got blown out pretty early, use him in the passing game. Then he caught a lot of passes the last couple of years. He's not catching passes, not for anything more than a yard or two. Yeah, I just don't understand what they're doing with them. And at this point, it's like, well. If this team's going to be what they looks like they're going to be, and he's not going to be the asset that he's supposed to be, why not try to move him? 
even if you get a fifth or even a sixth round pick, you're probably going to cut him at the end of the year anyway. So why not try to get something for him now while maybe he has some value? Well, um, I'm glad you said a fifth or a sixth because I was going to circle back to you talking about moving him and and just tell you that I think it would be impossible to get any value for him because the guy's one, uh, you know, bit of evidence away from you know, from not seeing sure. the field for the rest of the season. So who the hell is going to go out there and do that? I, I, and he's not healthy. Yeah. And he's not healthy completely. I guess, you know, I, I guess my uh, my thinking on that would be a fifth or a sixth just isn't enough for, to you know, to take him away. I mean, the players, they gave him a captain. You know, they gave him a C. You know, they, he's some kind of leader, you know, to, to an otherwise very young team. Uh, if he continues to be a you know, positive reinforcement for your young quarterback, then that may be more valuable than um, than anything that you could get for him. But, you know, you, you talk about using them in the passing game, and, and I talk about, you know, how the drive didn't stay alive. I mean, go back to the very first drive. You know, the very first play that the Bills ran was a, uh, was a, a swing pass to him that went for six or seven, and then they couldn't get a first down out of it. You know, your your first drive of the game – you use Shady on a on a nice little swing. It was actually the exact same play that was like the first or second play against the Ravens too. So someone's gonna pick up on that that we're running swings to Shady on the first drive. You know, every chance we get, but it, you know, it went for six. It worked. It, it it worked this time around. And you're sitting there in the second and short, and you pick up uh, two and a half with McCoy after that. So boom, you know, you're two plays in, you've used your best offensive player to get you into third and one and a half. And then you're stuck, you know, on third and one and a half from the, from a power formation with Ivory. If you can't extend drives, if you can't pick up third and and one, third and two, then your running back's going to get, you know, five touches and, and everyone's going to get pissed off. Now, when it comes to the ugly, there's many things that we can get into but I want to be able to move on and talk about a couple other things. So I I just want to bring up one thing. The Bills wide receivers had zero catches until there was less than a minute left in the first half. Listen, I know the receivers aren't great. I know the quarterback's not great. I know the line's not great. How the hell do you go an entire half of football, though, where a wide receiver only has one catch? How does that even happen? Well, I mean, we talk about the offensive line being as bad as, as we thought they'd be or as bad as you thought they'd be. The receivers are actually fucking worse than people thought they'd be. And, and I'm not in that camp. Like I, I, you know, I had this offense all wrong. Okay. I thought this offense would find efficiency because I felt like they were efficient last year. And, you know, I, I, I thought the quarterback was going to be someone that could run an efficient offense. And he was given like a half a football. But that's neither here nor there. I, You know, the receivers are worse than people even thought they'd be. Zay Jones is, is absolutely invisible. And Calvin Benjamin is, you know, clearly on his way to about a three-year, $10 million contract when I was thinking quite frankly the guy could be in line for like a a a six-year 40 million dollar contract he is a joke and um you know it's too bad I don't think Foster I don't think Foster's an NFL receiver I don't think McLeod's an NFL receiver those are practice squad guys as far as I'm concerned there was a reason why McLeod was a seventh rounder 
and Foster was an undrafted free agent. I like Holmes, but Holmes is more of a special teams guy than a reliable receiver out there. I could agree with you more. It's just an awful position on a team that frankly has a lot of awful positions. Normally we have our game MVP and game LVP, and we spend some time talking about that. But you know what? Let's skip that shit. I think it's pretty obvious. Teron Johnson's your game MVP, right? Was anyone better than him? Is there really a need for discussion there? No. No, I I don't think so either. I'll give, like I said, we gave Jordan Poyer a little bit of props, but Teron Johnson was far and away the best player on the field for the Bills today. And we both agree Josh Allen was the least valuable player. He was just awful. No matter what adversity is around him with the line and the receivers, he's just got to find a way to play better than that. You're the quarterback. You got to find a way to make plays. It's as simple as that. Can I just can I, can, I, can I just give special can I just give special mention to Kari Lee for LVP? All right, like you play like fucking three plays a game. You get penalties on two. I mean, you know, it's like why the fuck are you active? I, I'm sorry. I, I mean, maybe he's a decent blocker or, or whatever. You know, I saw him in routes. You know, today, and and if he's in there to block, he's doing more to take away from a drive than add to it. I mean, what what a what a garbage, uh, you know, roster spot for to be active uh, on a on a day like today. I mean, just uh, Kari Lee. I would give also honorable mention to Ryan Lewis. Not nothing against the kid at all, but. He ain't no starting NFL cornerback, and that showed today. Green Aaron Rodgers constantly was going after him. He got smoked out of long play. It's no fault of his, man. He should be a, maybe a dive guy at this point. Maybe he'll grow into a better player. I don't think that it's impossible for him to become a good player, but he's not now. There's no way he should be starting. So, nah. And Kari Lee, Kari, Kari Lee gets like my Joe Barocas, uh, uh award of the week. I, Corey. I, I want to take, I want to take an obscure LVP every week and give him the Philly Barocas <laughs> award. <laughs> hey, he had eight punts and four were inside the 20. He did all right. Yeah, he did all right. All right. So we're at the quarter point of the season right now. The Buffalo Bills are one in three. Most people probably had them right around there. I actually thought they were going to lose their first four games, if you remember. So, at the quarter point right now, who is, and this isn't going to be so easy like this game was, who is the Buffalo Bills team MVP after four games right now? We're a quarter of the way through the season. Who's their MVP? Well, you know, I mean, I can't imagine going with anybody on, on, on the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, you have Hell to, Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you switch over to the D you look at, uh, you look at Hughes's big game against, uh, against Minnesota. But I, I think I'm just going to go back to my, uh, my prediction for their MVP, uh, you know, in, in the, uh, in the preseason, um, you know, when you asked me about it, I mean, just imagine, how much we'd be getting lit up if Tredavious White wasn't, you know, locking down at least a, a, a portion of the uh, of the field each and every week. I mean, dude, they'd be doing any, they'd be doing anything that went. Now, I didn't like, I, I did not like Trey White today. All right, I felt like if if in fact he was he was you know 
shadowing uh, uh, Devontae Adams, if if they did what they had done, you know, in weeks past with him, you know, I felt like Adams got over on him a couple times, beat him on a couple slants, slants that went for a whole lot of yards after catch. So didn't like White a ton today, but, um, you know, he, he, he took away half the field against San Diego. He did the same thing against Minnesota. And, um, ah, you know, I'll, I'll, plus I don't want to be redundant because you'll probably go with the, uh, uh, you'll probably go with the, uh, linebackers. So, so I'll, I'll take Trey White and you, I, you, you could, you could have, I don't have Boston one. College, uh, kid. I, well, see, that's the thing. I don't, honestly, I don't think I really have one. I, you're talking about Matt Milano. I would have been quick to say him because they've played four games this year. And twice, either we both said he was the game MVP or maybe one of us did two different weeks. But he had two good games. But he, today was one of them, too. He was completely fucking invisible the other two games. So how was someone the MVP of your football team where in 50% of the games he was pretty much invisible? So I do agree with you, actually. I would say Tredavious White, but that has got to be the wackest quarter season MVP I've ever seen because I don't even think he's played that well. I don't think he played very well today at all. Nobody played well in Baltimore. Well, they played one good football game. You know, those positive, positive takeaways from a quarter point. Doesn't it discourage you that 53 guys are on this roster and we're having a hard time finding one guy who we could say, you know what? He is the MVP. Normally, even if you're not that good of a team, you got maybe three, four, five guys that maybe you're saying, all right, well, it could be this guy, it could be that guy. We're having a hard time legitimately coming up with one football player on this team that is team MVP worthy right now. That is sad, isn't it? Yeah. It's, you know, again, though, just to, just to reiterate what I said, you've got three very ugly losses and one big win that, um, you know, that just hasn't, you know, isn't enough to overshadow how bad the three losses were. What about the LVP? Now there's a lot of candidates here, but again, four games in, one quarter of the season is gone. Of the many candidates, who's your team LVP right now? Kelvin Benjamin in a fucking landslide. I'm going to go, and you're not going to agree with this, but I think it's LaShawn McCoy, man. I know he's not 100%. He missed the game already, but at the end of the day, you're the best player on this football team and you're on pace for 344 yards rushing and 164 yards receiving. It just can't happen. You got, he's, he's got to find a way to be better than that. I know like today he didn't get the touches, but make the most of it, man. Do something. You're too good of a football player to have those kind of numbers. That's just awful. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not a karma guy, but you know, maybe bad things tend to happen to fucking guys who send hitmen to beat up their ex-girlfriends. I don't know. Hey, um, I, 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 I've got to say one thing on, on LVP though. Um, and I do, I do still think it's Calvin Benjamin, um, you know, in a walk, but Nate Peterman's up there for me just because of what my expectation was for him. I, I, I share, uh, what I think was, was McDermott's, uh, expectation. I thought we were okay. I think McDermott and Bean and whomever the decision makers, you know, might be thought that we were okay too. Um, you know, putting the, uh, putting the early part of this season in his hands. I do not think it's good for Josh Allen to be out on the football field right now 
And the number one reason that he is, is because Nate Peterman was so inept. And that's a big deal. And he deserves to be recognized in terms of as early as it was and as short of a leash as there may have been. That fact needs to be recognized when the, when the story of the 2018 Buffalo Bills is written because it wasn't supposed to play like this. Well, four games through the 2018 season, what is the story of the Buffalo Bills right now? What's the big picture to you? Well, the big picture is that the rebuild has been accelerated, uh, at least as it relates to the quarterback, you know, seeing action uh, again, I think earlier than they, than they had planned. And, you know, I, I, I think this coming Sunday will at least represent a lot about what it's going to look like for the rest of the season. I think it's a game that as, as well as the Titans did, uh, today by beating, you know, by beating Philadelphia, I think it's one you go get if, uh, if you're a even five or six win football team. I think if you're a five or a six win football team or even a four to six win football team, you beat the Titans at home. You know, you, you hang up a, a, a performance that, uh, that more closely resembles your Vikings performance offensively, um, than certainly the Green Bay one. So I'm going to say that, you know, I, I mean, I'm just going to kind of hold up on the big picture, uh, until a week from now, because I think at two and three, you're like, okay, all right. That, you know, we're, we're not a laughing stock. We can do something with this season to progress in, into the off season and hopefully get some free agents in here, that sort of thing. They lose to the Titans and they looked in and they look in up doing so. I got a feeling it, it could start to get real ugly after that as we head back to the road. I think they're right where I expected them to be. They had one great game and they were basically not even competitive in the other three. They've been outclassed because this roster is inferior, man. It's just as simple as that. The worst part is for the fans. Even the game we won, these have been four pretty boring games. None of them have been competitive. There hasn't been no drama, no excitement, no second half excitement, certainly. You know what I mean? It's like, if you're not a diehard, what incentive have you had to watch a fourth quarter of a Bills game this year? You know what I mean? Nah, man. It's been a, it's, it's been a lousy first month of football. Let's switch gears. I want to talk about the Ryder Cup for a minute. Did you watch any of it this weekend? I know you've been busy. Did you get a chance to watch any? No, none. I said last week, and, and I'll say it again, I am a four majors guy when it comes to golf. And you know what? This is There's just no like what? a major. This is huge. Listen you here. you got to be kidding me. The Ryder look Cup, here. Dude, come on. You look here, all right? You didn't pay one iota to the World Cup, the biggest goddamn sporting event in the world, okay? You didn't pay no mind yeah, to it. Yeah, but I don't it. like any soccer. How could you like some golf, but not all golf? I don't like soccer, period. I don't care if it's the World Cup or if it's Lancaster playing Hamburg in fucking high school. It means nothing to me. I'm just not a soccer guy. How about you like four majors in golf? You don't even know what the tour championship is. You don't watch the Ryder Cup. That must mean you don't watch the President's Cup. Do you like the Players' Championship? You probably don't watch that either. No, not really. <laughs> look, man, I mean, look, when when they talk about Tiger Woods, why is Tiger Woods who he is? All right, because he was pushing, what? because he was pushing Jack's record for the majors. Everything 
the the entire sport is based around the majors. And, you know, I mean, th- there's there's some validity to what you're saying. Sometimes I do feel a little... Uh, a, a a little bit like a phony golf fan and and whatnot, but look, man, you know if there's bigger shit going on, it's just it's it's where I'm it's where I'm gonna go. And when did this start? Thursday? When did this Ryder Cup thing start? Thursday? Friday? Friday? Friday. All right, because you were sitting there tweeting about it Friday morning when some of the most compelling live television you could ever imagine, all right, was happening from Washington D.C. And I got you tweeting about the fucking Ryder Cup. <laughs> now, here's something I know you'll be watching. That's Major League Baseball, the playoffs. Do you seriously want Oakland to beat the New York Yankees on Wednesday night? Absolutely, man. Ab- Why? Absolutely. Why would you not want the Yankees to play Boston or the Yankees to play Houston in a divisional round? Simple, man. Why? The same reason I wanted Stanford to beat Notre Dame and Clemson to beat Syracuse, because I hate their fucking fan bases, you included. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the Yanks, it's just, uh, you know, I'd like to see the small money, uh, you know, the the small market and, you know, the, a team like the A's. I, I just can't believe the season they had, you know, uh, same thing with, with Tampa Bay. And I would love to see them, uh, a, a no-name team. And, uh, I mean, come on, man, the A's and, and like, the Red Sox in, in an ALCS, you know, all that – the how good the Red Sox were supposed to be and ended up being against a, a team of absolute nobodies. I mean, I, 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 that's gripping to me. It, but, you know, Red Sox and Astros would be the shit, too. It, it's the baseball playoffs is just the shit. Throw in a team that wasn't supposed to be there, though, and I think it's even it makes it even better. Fuck that. Too many Yankees <laughs> and the Red Sox every year. Oh, Fuck God. Them. All right, we're winding down here. Give me your puck drop for the week. Oh man, I forgot all about that stupid segment. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This segment is a disaster, dude. This is a disaster. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) Shit, I had something. Did you literally forget? No, man, I had something and you threw me all off with. well, while you thinking it, let me, I'll tell you what. Let me give you the pat peeve of the week while you try to think of something for the puck drop. Okay. I touched on the Ryder Cup earlier. It feels to me like Americans have this business trip mentality when it comes to playing in the Ryder Cup. I get that it was in France. I do. And I know that the crowd would really get the European players more hyped than maybe they'd be if this was contested in America. But come on, man. These Americans looked so emotionally disinterested at least compared to the Europeans. Honestly, it got to a point on Sunday morning where I found myself actually enjoying the Euros whipping up on the Americans. I don't know if that's Jim Furyk, the USA captain. Maybe he's a little too businesslike in his approach as coach, and perhaps that was contagious to the rest of the team. I don't know what they do in two years when the Ryder Cup comes back to whistling straights and is contested in America, but what I do know is that I really hope it results and a USA squad that plays with some emotion, plays with some passion, because that's literally what the Europeans did and what the Americans did not. What do you got? I remembered actually. It was it was very brief, but um, uh, my puck drop was uh, had to do with with Tim Murray's tenure uh, with the Buffalo Sabers, and as we watched 
Nick Baptiste and Justin Bailey, you know, not only be sent down, but clear waivers uh, on their way to, you know, to Rochester um, this past weekend. You know, you start to look at the draft picks that not only the draft picks that were made, but the draft picks that were sent away for players that are no longer on this team. And, you know, it, it's really to the point where you can, you can really put a wrap on his time here as about as poor a job with an incredible number of assets as I've ever seen a general manager do in professional sports. And I liked the guy. The guy was a great interview, a great listen, but what an absolute butchering of, uh, of significant assets, you know, that, that that guy had is, as Botterill has, uh, has now moved on from almost the entirety of, uh, uh, of, of Murray's roster and picks. Solid take. I like that. All right. My shout out this week goes to Matt Damon. He wasn't advertised, but appeared on the cold opening of the SNL season premiere Saturday night. He played Trump Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. In real life, it's a serious matter, but in the world of comedy, Matt Damon just killed it. It was funny as hell. It was awesome. That skit was funny. Got anyone you want to give a shout out to? Yeah, man, I think this was the last day uh, at the Buffalo News for Amy Moritz and you know, Amy Moe was uh, a, a bit of a pioneer here locally. You know, she was one of the uh, very few female voices uh, in the local media for a lot of years. And we've started to see uh, a, a lot more come around and it's been fun. I've, I've enjoyed listening to him, you know, on, on the podcast and, and, you know, reading him on Twitter and things like that. But, you know, she was alone in that press box, um, you know, for, for a while and she did a hell of a job and whatever it is she's Moving on to, I'm sure she'll do a great job, man. But uh, I, I really appreciated her coverage of, uh, of of local sports. All right, that'll do it for this episode. That was fun. Usually is fun. I'll tell you now, though, on Friday's show, not so much about fun. It's about an important message that I need to get out there. I'm going to be telling you a story about a high school football player in Florida named Knowledge McDaniel, an innocent kid, a great kid, who is being completely screwed over by the Florida High School Athletic Administration. It's just awful. It's very important that you hear this because there's something that you may be able to do about it. I'll be having interviews with former NFL players, sports writers who have covered the kid down here. I don't want to give too much of it away right now, but just trust me, if you've ever listened to one episode of this podcast, This is one that you really, really need to listen to. So be sure to look for that later this week. If you haven't done so already, please go and subscribe to this podcast. You can do it on iTunes. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. You just hit the subscribe button. Bam. New episodes automatically get sent right to your phone or to your computer. You can play them and keep them. You can play them and delete them. If you don't want to use up all the memory on your phone, I understand that. If you don't have iTunes or Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. Once again, have a good, safe rest of the week. Check back later this week for the Knowledge McDaniel story. I promise you, 
is going to be one that you don't want to miss. Take care.